Welcome back, Elevation Church. Glad you guys are here this morning. We're here at Studio B. We're not at Elevation Church. You are Elevation Church. We are at Studio B. We cover this every few weeks because I want you to always remember that. You are the church. This is a room that we gather in, that we get to worship in. But our call is not to come together and do church or go to church. Our call is to get out there and be the church, to be God's hands and feet, to go love our neighbors as we love ourselves, and to serve this community for his glory. And so I welcome you back as the church to Studio B as we continue this week in our series from the book of Nehemiah. And if you're here for the first time and you're just kind of checking Elevation Church out, I want you to know everything that we have done to prepare for this morning, we've done with you in mind. We're glad that you're here. We're glad that you're checking out this church. And we're glad that you're checking out the claims of Christ. And so we have prepared everything for today with you in mind. And we just want to invite you to kind of sit back and relax and enjoy what we have prepared. Because I think it is pertinent and relevant in your life. And I don't think you're here by accident today. So as I said, we're in a, a, a series about the book of Nehemiah. Now, Nehemiah was a man in the Old Testament. So the book of Nehemiah is really his memoirs. He existed, he lived uh, some 600 years or so before Christ. And Nehemiah was born into captivity in a city 800 or so miles away from where his homeland would have been. You see, about 100 years before his birth, Nehemiah's ancestors were captured by an invading army that came into the kingdom of Judah, into the city of Jerusalem, and they pretty much burned and broke the city down. They killed the defenders, and they hauled off the survivors to be servants back in their kingdom. And so Nehemiah was a Jew, but he was born into a non-Jewish kingdom. He had never seen Judah, never seen the city of Jerusalem, never been there. And yet, this memoirs of his has an interesting story to tell about this man, Nehemiah, born into captivity, serving in the king's court. King Artaxerxes, the king of the, of the Persian Empire. Nehemiah served in his court. And, and in this service role, Nehemiah had an interesting encounter with another Jewish brother who told him the condition of the city of Jerusalem. He said that Jerusalem's walls had been torn down back when the invading army came, the temple had been destroyed, and none of it had really been rebuilt. The city lay in, in ruins, the city wall lay in ruins, and the temple was barely functional, and it broke Nehemiah's heart. And so Nehemiah began to have this vision, this dream of what he could do to put the walls back in place and to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. Now, his proximity to the king, since he served in the king's court, plays a vital role in Nehemiah's building of his dream, of his God-given purpose to go and rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king, and the cupbearer was the guy who got to taste the king's food and wine before it was presented on the king's table. In fact, he would have been the guy who took it to the king's table, so he had proximity to the king, and he would have served the king and he would have pronounced that the food was good and the wine was good because I'm alive, and so it's okay for you to eat. And so Nehemiah gets this vision, this God-given dream 
to rebuild the wall as he hears about the condition of Jerusalem. He uses his proximity to the king to present to the king this dream, this idea. But before he did, Nehemiah did some really wise things. Nehemiah sat down. We found this out two weeks ago in chapter 1. When he first heard the bad news, he sat down. He wept. He got all of his emotions out of the way, and he kept himself from running off and doing something stupid, because we've all done that, right? You, you, get a, you get an idea, and you run off in pursuit of it before you think about it. Nehemiah sat down. That kept him from doing that. He got his emotions out of the way, and then he prayed and fasted for many days, and he let God develop in him a full-fledged picture, a vision for this dream. And we found out last week that this preparation process that Nehemiah went through was like four or five months long. And then when he was prepared, then when the opportunity was right, when he saw that opportunity to take his dream to the king, to let the king know what he was thinking, he seized the opportunity. And so we found out last week that Nehemiah, when the opportunity was there and he seized it, the king, who was the only person in Nehemiah's life who could have possibly endorsed or enforced Nehemiah's dream. The king, who by the way was an anti-Semite, who said there would never be a wall around Jerusalem again. He really didn't care about the Jewish people. When Nehemiah presented the plan, when he told him about the dream, the king did indeed endorse and enforce Nehemiah's dream. Nehemiah told him what he wanted to do, and the king said, when do you want to go, and when will you be back? And oh, by the way, take with you some army soldiers, some cavalry to defend you and protect you. And he gave Nehemiah letters to give him safe passage through other kingdoms along the way and a letter to allow him to cut trees out of the king's royal forest to rebuild the walls and the gates and to even build Nehemiah's own home back in Jerusalem. I'd say that he was indeed blessed. He, Artaxerxes, endorsed and enforced. God had commissioned Nehemiah in chapter 1. Now God has provisioned Nehemiah in chapter 2 using Artaxerxes as his instrument for provisioning him. And right as we checked out last week, Nehemiah was on his way out of the city gates, headed to Jerusalem to do his work, and we meet two knuckleheads and I don't know about you, but I got a little knucklehead in me, so I can identify with a knucklehead. I know one when I see one. I saw two knuckleheads named Sanballat and Tobiah. And Sanballat and Tobiah were these naysayers. Are, knuckleheads are oftentimes naysayers, would you agree? Or naysayers are oftentimes knuckleheads, whatever you want to say. But these guys were naysayers. When they heard what Nehemiah was up to, they didn't want anybody to go and do anything to benefit the Jews. And so they started causing some trouble started saying some stuff. And Nehemiah, to his credit, did not listen to these guys. And he went on to Jerusalem. And that's where we're going to pick up today. Chapter 2, verse 11 of the book of Nehemiah. Let's start reading what happens when Nehemiah gets to Jerusalem. I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there for three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. One of the first things I notice about Nehemiah, when he rolls into Jerusalem, Nehemiah doesn't bring with him 
that full entourage. Remember, the king had just given him access to the cavalry. He sent like a bunch of people with him. I'm going to guess there were some wagons hauling some lumber, like the Home Depot truck was in route with him. But when Nehemiah got to the outskirts of Jerusalem, he didn't roll into town with all of that. He kind of came in low-key, undercover, little, you know, down on the DL. And, and he came into town, and he spent some time there, three days. He didn't tell anybody what he was about to do. He was very humble. So we found so far that Nehemiah is wise. He's, he's really patient. He has patience that, like, blows my mind. He's really wise. He's very patient. He is observant. He sees opportunities when they present themselves. And now we find out that Nehemiah is a very humble man because it would have been easy to roll into town with all that stuff, all the pomp and circumstance. Uh, we, we watched with our kids, Trina and I watched with our kids uh, just the other night, the Disney movie Aladdin. Remember the scene when Aladdin, you know, becomes king or prince and he rolls into town with all the pomp and circumstance and the genie singing and there's elephants and monkeys and all. That's what I would have been like if I had all that stuff. I would have rolled into Jerusalem like, woohoo, check me out. I'm Mr. Bad. I'm here to save y'all because you need somebody to save you. And I'm the man. Nehemiah did not do that. Verse 13, by night I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates which had been destroyed by fire. And then I moved on towards the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through, so I went up the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. And the officials did not know where I had gone, or what I was doing, because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or the nobles or the officials or any others who would be doing the work. Nehemiah, wise, patient, observant, humble. Nehemiah brought all of those things into play when he arrived in Jerusalem. He didn't tell anybody what he was about to do. He didn't go out and shout from the rooftops the dream that God had planted in his heart. Nehemiah kept it on the DL, and he went and gathered intel. He went and gathered some intelligence. He went out by night, and he examined the city wall. He went all the way around the city of Jerusalem, and he was, I'm sure, taking notes. Probably had a little pocket scroll. And he's taking notes about the condition of the wall, about the condition of the gates, what materials are there, what materials do we need, where is it the worst, where is it the best, how many people is this going to take, how long do I think this is going to take, is it as bad, is it as good as I thought it was. Nehemiah was being patient, he was being wise, he was being observant, he was developing a plan. God had given him a dream. God had fully developed the vision, but now Nehemiah needed to have a plan to see that vision become reality, to live the dream, to build the dream that God planted in him. And I think about myself, and I think about many of the people that I've known in my lifetime, and I believe that some of these things, these character traits that Nehemiah is exhibiting I think those things are, are things we need to take note of and to put into practice because I think many of us are not living our dreams. We're not building our dreams because we lack the patience. We lack the wisdom. 
We lack the, the ability to stand back and to observe, to make good notes and to develop a plan. I said last week, a lot of times we're like heat-seeking missiles. We get a vision or a dream in our hearts and our heads, and we go off in pursuit of that thing. It is like burning hot. And so we lock onto it. We focus solely on it. And we, do, we just push everything into that. And we go off in pursuit of whatever dream we have. The problem with that is because focus is a really good thing when you're focused on the right things. The problem is when we get locked on, when our radar, heat-seeking missile radar, locks onto a heat source that isn't from God. And I have found myself many times in pursuit of some hellish heat, things that were not of God, things that were of Todd. They might have looked like good things. They might have really been good things, but they were not necessarily God things. Good dreams are not always God dreams. I reflect on the times early on when Trina and I started talking about planting Elevation Church. We didn't even know it was Elevation Church at the time. We just, for nine years, went back and forth. Are we going to plant a church, aren't we? We think God's put it on our hearts, but we never, at the same time, both got on the same page about, is this the time to launch until 2009? God got us both on the same page at the same time, and we were united in our vision, our passion. We had a fully developed vision for what God wanted to do, and we went off in pursuit of that. The problem was we didn't sit down. And by we, I mean me, just for the record, so don't point fingers at my wife. It's all me. I didn't sit down. I didn't pour out my emotions. I didn't wait for God. See, God gave us a vision. He gave us a dream. Plant a church. And we, I, thought, yay, finally, I get to, like, get unleashed and go. And so I went. And what I didn't realize at the time was I didn't have a fully developed picture for where God wanted us to plant the church. And since God didn't tell me in the immediate, you know, like first couple of days, I just decided he left it up to me. Ding, 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 ding. When you arrive at those kinds of decisions, sit down before you do something stupid. Because I spent the next 18 months pursuing planting this church in the wrong place. We were headed to Castle Rock, Colorado, the county seat of the fastest growing county in the state, 96% unchurched. See, Trina and I developed a criteria for where we would plant. Since God didn't tell us, we thought we would just, you know, do the research ourselves. And the criteria was this, where there was a need and where our family fit. Two wonderful criteria for planting a church. Where is there a need? Where do people need to hear the gospel of Jesus? Pretty much everywhere, but some places are a little darker than others. Colorado as a state is 95% unchurched. Castle Rock was 96. We said, hallelujah, amen. That's a good one. And our family fit there, we knew, because we both have Colorado connections in our family. So we ran off in pursuit of the wrong dream. It was a good thing. There's a, it would be good to plant a church in Castle Rock, Colorado. And if God puts that vision on your heart, God bless you, I will send, I've done the research. I can help you plant that church, baby. We named it Elevation Church because as you roll in and out of towns in Colorado, they don't tell you the population. They tell you the elevation. And we thought, oh, that's cool. I, we, can, we can play off of that. Elevation Church, woo! We're planting at over 6,200 feet in elevation. It's all about perspective, baby. And we pursued that hard. A month into it, I quit my job. We thought we were leaving in a couple of months. A month into it, we found out we were pregnant with our third child, and Trina's job transfer that we were banking on did not come through. Should have been the sign, the first sign that I needed to sit down. 
I'd shifted gears, got into a higher gear. We ran harder. We put our house on the market with, when Kenley was a week old. Had it on for months, got one offer. It was not good. Didn't sell the house. Trina had been looking for jobs. Couldn't even get her an interview. By the way, the economy crashed right about that time. It's amazing how God works. We're running off in pursuit of a Todd dream. God's over here going, hey, big boy, over here. 18 months, he let us run in pursuit of the wrong dream before we came, and by we again, I mean me, full circle back and broken, I sat down. God, you called us. Did we misunderstand? Is it not now? Is it not us? Is it not there? Is it don't plant a church, you idiot? I mean, what is it? And it's when we got broken before God, when I sat down, when I sought him really, when I was ready to listen, to pray, and to fast, and to not run off like a heat-seeking missile, that God began to develop the picture for planting right here where we already knew we fit, where we didn't realize the need was as great as it is. Because as we then, with God's fully developed picture, began to research what was going on here in our own community, we found out that 66%, two out of three of our neighbors in Highland Village, in Louisville, in Flower Mound, in Double Oak, in all of these communities are unchurched, are far away from God, are outside of the community that he has called us to be in. God will let you run off in pursuit of the wrong dreams. He will bring you full circle. I think many of us experience that pursuit of the wrong dream because we lock on to the wrong heat source and we run after Todd dreams, not God dreams. Fill in your own name there. And then we experience the failure and the frustration of not realizing the dream that we thought we were in pursuit of, of running into troubles and trials and struggles and, and we just get fed up and we check out. Or maybe you're like me and you get back to the place where you can begin to catch that vision, that fully developed vision of what God wants you to do. But you've told everybody in your life what you're doing. And now you realize that's not what God wants you to do. And so it's really embarrassing to go back and tell them, <laughs> we're not going to Colorado. <laughs> we're staying here. And of course, every one of them, I think to a person, thought, huh, it got too hard, so they checked out, and they're going to do the easy thing and stay home. And they had no idea how hard it was to stay. We'd spent a year and a half investing everything in going. And maybe you're like that, and you get to that point, and rather than humble yourself, and believe me, I did not want to be humbled. I would have rather gone to Colorado wrongly than to stay here rightly, but God did something in spite of me. And it did spite me for a little while, but he kept us here and, and we did stay and we did engage and I did eat a lot of crow. And I'm just sharing that with you because I want you to know if you're missing that personalized, God-sized dream, if you're not sure what your purpose is, maybe you've already had it revealed to you and you've gone in pursuit but you only had partial information and you ran into all of the, the, the naysayers and the negativity and the trials and the struggles. You got frustrated and you checked out on God's dream for you. Or you got embarrassed because it wasn't what you thought it was going to be and you had already told everybody, unlike Nehemiah who was wise and did not share the dream 
re-engage, re-engage, come back full circle, follow Nehemiah's wisdom, sit down, pour out, pray, fast, listen, and let God develop in you that fully colored in, detailed picture, that vision that he's called your life to be in pursuit of. Then launch. Then launch. Then become the heat-seeking missile. Then go tell people what you're up to. Then physically and verbally go build the dream. And that's what Nehemiah is doing as we pick up in verse 17. He said to them, them being all of the Jewish people there in Jerusalem. He said to them, you see the trouble we are in. I love it. Right off the bat, Nehemiah has thrown himself into the mix. He was born 800 miles away. He's never seen Jerusalem until three days ago. Never set foot in the kingdom of Judah until three days ago. And within those three days, Nehemiah has thrown in his life with their lives. He says, see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins. Its gates have been burned with fire. Come and let us rebuild this wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. And they replied, let's start rebuilding. And so they began this good work. So they began this good work. You know what? Nehemiah, again, shows some incredible wisdom. Nehemiah realizes that if he's going to build the dream, he first has to build a team. And if you're writing stuff down, go ahead and put that one in ink. If you're going to build the dream that God has planted in you, if you're going to realize the vision, live the life he's called you to, it is a team effort. You will not accomplish your purpose alone. From Genesis to Revelation, we find that teamwork, cooperation, and community are common themes throughout the pages of Scripture. It's all there. Teamwork, cooperation, and community. See, God did not design men and women to do the Lone Ranger life. Now, I know in America we celebrate the rugged individualist. We celebrate the rags to riches, pulled myself up by my own bootstraps kind of guy or girl. We, we, we romanticize the cowboy lifestyle. We romanticize all of these self-made millionaires. But none of them are self-made. None of them are rugged individualists in reality. God did not create us for rugged individualism. He did not create us to live lone ranger lives. He created us for community. Check it out. In Genesis, God created man, and then God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. He walked with them physically. His presence was with them, in community with them, all before sin entered the equation. God gave that's the covenant of marriage. A man and a woman united in a one flesh relationship. Like, wow, incredible community. God exists in community in the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The perfect picture of community. Three in one, one in three. Coexisting, cooperating. Everything in God's creation is about community. It's about 
team work. And if you're going to build that dream, you've got to build a team. Nehemiah saw this. He knew he couldn't do the work alone. Even though it was his dream, it was his purpose, God gave him that vision. He knew to build it, he had to have the team. Check it out in verse 16. He finishes that verse out by saying, I didn't say anything to the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or any others who would be doing the work. He knows he's not the one who's going to ultimately do the work to build the dream. Verse 17, you see the trouble we are in. Come let us rebuild the wall, and we will no longer be in disgrace. And at the end of that verse, they said, let us start rebuilding. Not only did Nehemiah not ride into town with all the pomp and circumstance, when it was finally time, when the opportunity was right to reveal the dream, Nehemiah realized he couldn't just march in and lead from on high. He was in and amongst the people. He threw himself in with them right away. Even though he knew he wasn't going to be the one doing most of the work, he was in and among the people. He set himself up in that way, and then he said to them, let's do this together. They caught the vision. The picture transferred from him to them. And Nehemiah took his right place in leadership. When, when it's your dream, when it's your vision that God's placed in your heart, it's a real good chance it's going to be your place, your time to lead in pursuit in the building of that dream or that vision. We're all called at different times to be leaders on the team, and sometimes we're just called to be teammates, to lock arms, to unite together, and to go to battle, baby, to go to war. When you're in pursuit of the individual dream, God's unique vision for you, you'll probably lead it. But when you're in pursuit of God's collective vision for his church to go be the church out there in our community, that's time to be the teammate to lock arms, to get united, and to put in your heart that whole T-E-A-M acrostic, together, everyone achieves more. T, together, E, everyone, A, achieves M, more. When we lock arms as his church, when we unite under his vision, we will achieve more than if we go out as individual followers of Christ and try to do this thing on our own. The Olympics are coming up. Who likes Olympic basketball? Love me some Olympics. Do you like the Olympics in general, or is that just hokey to y'all? I don't know, man. I'm a sucker for anything that's like national pride, Americanism. Woohoo! I love it. And I love the Olympics. You know what I don't like? I don't like the dream team concept. When they started putting together dream teams in basketball and baseball and hockey, started letting the professionals come together and they go and represent our country, we probably, you know, win really big in some of those Olympics. But you know what else? Some years we lose really big with the dream teams. Because I think that the dream teams are collections of individuals who possess great talent, but who never lock arms and unite under one purpose. Yeah, they carry the American flag and they supposedly represent our country. But I think too many times those rugged individualists go out and represent themselves. And because of that, they fail. Elevation Church, it is not our right and it is not our call to go represent ourselves in this culture. 
It is our call. It is our purpose to be unified together under Christ to go and represent him and his dream of penetrating that two out of three people who don't know Christ. We've got to penetrate that with salt, with light, with the good news of salvation and forgiveness of sins and eternal life in heaven. We've got to unite to build this dream. And yeah, this one's my dream. This one's my dream. God put this on my heart. It's my call. I believe this is the purpose for my life. The whole reason I exist, I sincerely believe, is to stand here today. And a year and a half ago, I nearly checked out on it. I was close. I kind of wanted to. I was embarrassed. I was frustrated. God revealed some stuff about me that I didn't like very much. And it would have been a whole lot easier to just not deal with that, cancel the church plant, and move on. But God compelled me to take that next step. And today I look at all of you, and I am eternally grateful that I did. Not that God couldn't have done what he's done here without me. Could have plucked any one of you. Could have given you the vision. But he gave it to me. And I'm so glad that I pursued this dream. So glad. As I stood in my pool last week baptizing children and adults who had made that decision to follow Christ. So glad, so grateful that God carried me through that weak moment and put me back in pursuit of his dream. Nehemiah was the man with the plan, the vision, the dream. He knew that he had to build the team if he was going to ever accomplish the dream. He built his team, and they began to do their work. It's time for some of you to join the team. Jim talked about it a little bit ago. We, we prayed as a, uh, a team in here, the worship team and myself. And I know our children's team prayed somewhere else, and others prayed elsewhere. The, the servants, the volunteers who make Elevation Church happen every week, we do that. We get together and pray before the service happens, before we get all this stuff going. And Jim sat here and led this team in prayer, and he talked about those who are in Elevation Church, who have talents and gifts and skills that they're hiding, that they're sitting on, that they're not sharing. They're not bringing to bear in pursuit of building this dream. And he prayed for you because I believe you're sitting here right now, some of you. You don't know that your talent has any value in the church. Maybe you don't think that you're clean enough, you're too far from God, perhaps, in your mind, to do anything to serve the church. Maybe you just don't realize that God has a place for you in this dream, building Elevation Church, reaching this community for Christ. He does, because you're not here by accident. Each and every one of you, I believe sincerely to the core of my being, is here on purpose. Whether it was your purpose or not, God placed you here with specific intent for you in this collective dream of his that is Elevation Church. I'm just the guy who gets to sit up here and talk to you about what he says and about the vision he's given me. And the vision that I have for some of you is to get outside of yourself and to serve to be part of something bigger than your Lone Ranger life, to bring your talents, your skills, your gifts, and your abilities to this building project. This building project, by the way, is no short-term project. 
We're building something a lot bigger than a stone wall with some wooden gates. Not that Nehemiah's task was small by comparison. It was huge. In a hundred years, nobody had succeeded in doing what Nehemiah set out to do. But I would call it a short-term project because they could probably accomplish it within two years. With good leadership and teamwork, they could accomplish that dream. They could build that wall back. We'll find out in a couple of weeks what the time frame really was. But I believe they could have done it in two years. This dream will not be built in two years. This dream will not be built in 200 years. I don't believe that we have a termination date for this dream. I don't believe that there is an end of this building project. I believe we're here to set the foundation. This group of people, me, my family, your family, you. We're here to set the foundation so that it will continue on in strength and be solid and so that this church will reach that community. But the building project doesn't have an end date. You and I, however, <laughs> not to be morbid, but if you haven't noticed, the death rate historically is hovering right around 100%. Have you ever noticed that? We're not getting out of this thing alive. You and me, we have an expiration date. It's not tattooed on the bottom of our foot or anything, so we don't know when it's coming. But we ain't getting out of this thing alive. God planted you here with a vision, with a purpose, with a dream. He's called you to build it individually and collectively. It's time for us to lock arms and collectively pursue the building of this church, this dream. And I believe that as we lock arms, as we come together as a team, as we all achieve more together, you very well might discover that individualized dream that God has for your life specifically. But let's pursue together that collective dream and see what God does with you individually. You know, we're in week three of what I think is going to be a six-week series. The next three weeks are critical. We've spent three weeks now developing the story, and it's only just about to get really, really good. And yet summer's here, and I know that some of you over the next several weeks have vacations planned. You have sports tournaments with your kids, or maybe with yourselves. I don't know. Some of y'all might be softball studs. I don't know what's going on. Some of you may just like to sleep in on Sunday mornings. It's summertime, baby. It's time to chill, kick back, relax a little bit. I want to challenge you about those things. And those are just three out of any number of things that might keep you from being here over the next three weeks. See, I believe that whatever those things are, those are distractions. I call them distractor factors. I don't know. Pastors just like to rhyme. I don't know why. It's just, we do. And so I... I just call them distractor factors. And I got a lot of them in my life that compete for my attention. Trina and I were talking about that yesterday. She called me out on a few of them, told me I need to stop with some of the stuff. We got distractor factors. And I believe those distractors are sent by people. Let's not call them people. Let's say that they're sent by an enemy. Kind of like these three naysaying knuckleheads that Nehemiah ran into in verse 19. Remember, it started off as two naysaying knuckleheads. Now we have the unholy trinity of Sanballat, the Horonite, Tobiah, the Ammonite official, and Geshem, the Arab. See, it wasn't good enough to just have two 
They didn't stop Nehemiah with just two of them. So they went and recruited another brother to come in and distract Nehemiah, to come against him, to plot against him, to get in the way of the pursuit and the building of his dream. I think some of us have some Sanballats, some Tobias, and some Geshems in our lives. Maybe they're people, maybe they're just distractor factors. But these three knuckleheads mocked and ridiculed the Jews. And they said, what is this that you're doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Now remember, the king is the one who endorsed and enforced the dream. God commissioned Nehemiah. God provisioned Nehemiah. He used Artaxerxes, the king, to do the provisioning, and, and, and the king was on board. And these three naysaying knuckleheads pull it out of their <clears throat> back pockets. Are you going against the king? We're going to take you down. He's coming after y'all. Don't get on board with this guy. He's going to lead you down a bad road. They, they want to stop the dream. They want to interfere with the building project that God has put these people onto. Check out how Nehemiah answered them. Because I believe this is how we're called to answer when the enemy interferes with what God is doing in your life and in mine. Here it is. He answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem. You have no claim or historic right to it. Ladies and gentlemen, the enemy, the distractions in your life have no claim. They have no right. They have no place in your dreams or in your God-given purpose. Recognize these distractions for what they are and knock them out of the way and pursue your dream the way Nehemiah said, the God of heaven will give us success. Come under his vision, his direction. Work with his plan, his purpose. Pursue the vision that you allow him to fully develop in your heart, and you will live your dreams. More importantly, you'll live his dream for you. I think it's time for some of us to begin building. You've been called to a great big building project. It's a God-given dream. It's a vision for your life and a vision for this church and even bigger than that. It's a vision for the lives of this community. We've got to be part of something that's bigger than ourselves. Let's build together this dream that God has called us to. Heavenly Father God, what a privilege to be part of your plan, to be included in your eternal plan, your ongoing building project that is this world. You have given each one of us a God-sized, personalized dream, a purpose for existing. You have called us to a collective dream of building and being your church. Father, there's a lot of things that have come into all of our lives to interfere with that vision, to get in the way of building this dream. Some of us have run off in pursuit of the wrong things, the wrong dreams. We've chased that hellish heat. And when we reach it, we realize it's not what you want us to do, not what you called us to do, not what we thought it was going to be, and we stop. We check out. Some of us 
come full circle and we see what we're supposed to do, but we're so embarrassed by the time and energy we've wasted, the people that we've told, and all the shame that our pride is going to have to endure if we get back on track with you. And so we just say, you know what, I'll, I'll, I'll punt on this one and I'll just pursue something else and I'll let God's dream for me die. Some of us haven't even seen the dream. We don't know yet what God's put us here for. We'd like to know. We believe there's something more to this life than what we're experiencing now. We just don't know what it is. If you're here this morning pursuing God's purpose for you, that's by design. God puts you here. He brought you here this morning to hear what he has to say. Not just today, but over the weeks and maybe the months and even years to come. He's brought you into a place, a church, that loves you, that cares about you, that has an interest in you recognizing and then realizing the dream that he has for you. A place that has put into action a plan for developing that dream, for teaching you to sit down, to pour out, to be still, to fast, to pray, to prepare, to gain wisdom, to have patience, so that that fully developed picture can form in your heart. A place that will put you in action, in pursuit of God's collective dream of building and being his church. And so we welcome you this morning, and we invite you to let us know you're here and that you want to be a part of this, to check it out, to see what God's up to in this church and in your life. It all starts there. God, for others, you're ready for us to get up from our sitting down. We've been sitting way too long. And it's time to engage and to discover what your purpose for us in this dream really is. What your purpose in the context of Elevation Church and in this community. God, I pray that these people would boldly make decisions to delay vacations, to leave a day later, come home a day earlier, to set two alarms so they don't sleep through, to say no to the morning games and these tournaments and all of these other distractor factors that would interfere with their pursuit, with their building of your dream. God, let them be here for the next three weeks to see what you're doing and how you're moving and how they have a place and a part in this building project. Father, we trust you with all of these things. We believe that you're in us. You're working right now amongst us, that you're way out in front of us and drawing us towards you, calling us to build what you desire. Lord, I pray that each of us submits to that. In Jesus' name, amen.